0: So the origin story is very simple. So I grew up in a lower, lower middle class family. I didn't have money. My mother raised me. Dad really wasn't too much in the picture. But you know, when I wanted something, I didn't just ask for it. You know, what my mom taught me was that that hero story. My mom taught me one of the most important things, and we all have it when we're children, and that is the ability to dream. And not only just dream. I mean, we all, when I say dream, think, oh, when I go to bed, I dream. No, no, no. I mean, we all have dreams. Well, when we're a kid, I mean, think about it. Like if you wanted to be an astronaut, who's, who's there to tell you as a child, I have a 13 month old, whatever my 13 month old dreams in her mind, she can do and, and, and accomplish. There's no boundaries in her yeah. dreaming ability. And we keep that all the way up, some of us, into our teens until life starts getting a hold of us and telling us we can't do this. You shouldn't do this. You got to do what we did. You got to live the life I did. I call that conforming. But as a child, we know one thing and one thing only, creation. We know how to create what we want
1: Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I have the pleasure of having a friend of mine, Chris Noggle, on. And Chris, you are the founder of Money School, Um, and I want to just start off real quick. Why don't you do a a brief introduction? Um,
0: What is it that you're known for, and who do you serve? What do you do for them? Yeah, so the biggest thing I'm known for is solving people's money problem by helping them... Understand how to put themselves back in control of their money. That is single-handedly the number one problem we solve is against everything somebody's been taught their whole life. We teach them how to take their money and take the control of it back. And that's where it all begins. So
1: when you say people don't control their money, what what are some examples of not controlling your money? Because I I think like people who aren't familiar with the finance space might not know what you mean, because they're like, hey, my money's my bank account. Don't I control it? Like, what, what do you mean by they don't control their money?
0: Sure. So it's very easy. I mean, think of everything you've been taught to do with money from a very young age. We go out and we work. We trade hours for dollars. In most cases, even most business owners, entrepreneurs still create a job for themselves inside their business. And that job, whether it's for somebody else or for themselves, results in them earning money. I'm holding $100. So this hundred dollars represents one hour of work that I put out. So now what we've been taught to do is when we make this $100, what do we do with it? Well, we do one of two things in most cases. We either put it in somebody else's bank, i.e. the traditional bank, or if you work for a company that has an employer-sponsored plan, a portion of the money you make automatically sweeps into an employer-sponsored retirement plan because we've been taught, myself included, from a young age to do these two things. But those two things really defies everything you should be doing with money. Now, that should confuse everybody because, well, where else am I going to put the money? We'll cover that, but I want everybody to really kind of think about their money. This $100 that you traded one hour of your work for. Now, you know, listen, some people might be like, man, I don't work for $100 an hour. Great. Like how many of these $100 bills do you want me to pull out? Like I got a big stack here. So whatever you're worth an hour, I want you to put a monetary value to that. So this $100, we're just going to go back to that, is worth the most amount today. Tomorrow, this $100 is worth less. In a year from now, it's worth significantly less. In 20 years from now, this is worth a whole lot less than it is today because of inflation and everything that's happening. So if this is our most valuable hundred dollars we will ever have, then why is it that we give up control? We put it into the bank. Now, let me just go real quick into the bank. When you put money in a bank, the reason you do that is you can put it in there and take it right back out. Right. But do most people put their money in the bank and immediately take all of it back out or write bills for 100% of what they put in their bank? Absolutely not. Most people will put money in the bank and leave some of it there, i.e. their savings account or maybe a CD or whatever you do with the bank. You keep that money parked there. And who's winning in that equation? Are you winning and are you in control of the money or is the bank in control of the money and is the bank winning? Well, if you said the bank, You're correct, because the bank is then moving that money, taking that hundred dollars you deposited and immediately moving that money because they're certainly not taking your hundred bucks, putting it in a little box in the back with your name on it, are they? They're taking that money and they're lending it out to your neighbor, your coworkers, your friends, your family. And they're making 400 to 1300% more than you are on that money. So the bank's the winner there,
1: you're the loser. Fractional reserve lending, they can do it like what, 25 or 30 times? They can can,
0: uh, loan your $1 out? Uh, actually, nine, so every dollar you put in the bank, the bank can actually move 90 cents or actually, I'm sorry, create 90 cents out of thin air. They only need to keep 10 cents out of every dollar in reserves. So yeah, that's fraction reserve lending. I'm not even getting into that because now all of a sudden you'll see how much the bank actually makes. That 400 to 1300% is a simple math equation done by Bauer Financial that says for every dollar you put in, the bank is moving that money and making four to 10 times more than you are, which is 400 to you you can do the math, you know, so banks are always making, you know, a lot more than you are, but we just don't even think about that. We're like, hey, that's just what we're taught to do. 401ks are even worse because the 401k you're taking this money you made or a portion of it and you're giving up control of that money to a financial institution where that money is going to sit there for five, 10 or 15 years, maybe longer. And we're just like, oh, that's okay because it's going to grow or not. Your money doesn't always grow in the stock market sometimes it goes up many times it goes down when it goes down most people get scared they sell and they perpetually lose money but that's okay we do it because we want the tax deduction great that's a big lie you've been taught your whole life because hey listen think about it like are taxes going up or are they going down i think they're going up right they're going up. i think big time now i think we all can agree that they're going up so we're going to put our money in and receive a tax deduction on today's tax rate. Then 5, 10, or 15 years later, we're going to take that money back out and pay tax on all of that money at a higher tax rate. That's completely backwards. The only one winning is the US government and the financial company because they're charging you, let's just call it 1% for simple math. They're charging you 1% for those mutual funds that you're investing in over the time. Most people tell me, this is the craziest thing. People are so, I guess, just either you know just not paying attention or just not understanding that they're paying a fee for their money being in their 401k they're like no i get my statement there's no fee of course there is how much was your return oh i made uh i made seven percent no you didn't you made probably eight point five percent but they took one and a half percent for fees you just didn't see it so you just think that you didn't pay it but those fees let's just use one percent cost you a whole lot how much let's just take over 20 years Let's take a 1% fee on $100,000. What would be the cost? The answer is roughly $30,000. According to the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, not me, that means 30% over 20 years is what you lost to fees. And that's 30% that you no longer can earn interest on, earn returns on. So what you're literally doing with your money is the complete opposite of what you do with money. So you're putting money into this 401k. We do the opposite uh, with money. Then I'm saying it wrong, but like, let me put it this way. Would you ever buy a car today? And then right when you get the keys to drive the car, wait five, 10 or 15 years before driving that car? No, we do things with money we would never ever do with things that money buys. Would you do that, Richard?
1: No, i you would drive the car off the lot that day and use it.
0: Right. And then I love this one. Like, would you ever go to the store and buy a loaf of bread, beautiful Italian loaf of bread, come home, throw it in the freezer and shut the door, then wait five, 10 or 15 years, come back, open the freezer door and voila, you now have two loaves of bread. Where'd the second one come from? Your match. Oh yeah, I get a match at work. So now you have two freezer burned loaves of bread. You wouldn't eat either one of them. The same thing's happening with your money. And you wouldn't buy your dream house with your significant other and then wait you know, as soon as you're ready to move in with your spouse, you say, Oh, hold on, honey, honey, wait a second. We can't move into this house for five, 10 or 15 years. We got to treat our money the same, the same way here. Like we, you know, but that's what we do. We do things with money. We would never, ever do with things that money buys.
1: Sorry, I went long on that. One of of the things that, uh, one of the things that pops in my head when you're saying that is a, is a phrase that I was taught a long time ago is that money loves speed, right? And wealth loves time, right? So, if your, your money is is like if you you need to take it and then you need to put it to work um, instead of trying to let it sit there and do nothing, especially when you're in a, um, a debt based economy like ours, which is, you know, by definition, the value of our dollar is constantly going down like it has to uh, because of the way our economy is built. So, you know, like you said earlier, your the dollar that you earn today is the most valuable it's ever going to be at the moment you earned it.
0: Love that. You know, and that that really sums up another big problem that we've all been taught. I like to call it the big lie is, you know, we, we've really only been taught from a young age through school, through college to work for money. We're never, ever taught how to make our money work for us. That's something we have to learn on our own. And many of us make big mistakes by giving up control of that money in the process of trying to make our money work for us. And then you said another thing you talked about, the speed of money. I would relate that to the velocity of money. Money can only be effective if it's in motion. Putting money in a bank account, putting money somewhere and just leaving it sit is completely defying the laws of motion, okay? Because your money has to be moving. Banks move money. Every business in the world moves money through inventory, product, cars, groceries. They're all moving money. We're the only suckers out there that have been taught to park our money somewhere and just leave it sit, oh, can't touch that. Because if I touch it, I'm gonna lose the interest earning potential of that money. You know, people think they can't have one without or with the other. They think they can't earn interest and still have control and access to their money. But that's where they're wrong because they absolutely can. And they just have to change one thing to get that. But nobody's ever been taught that. And nobody ever will be because if you were taught that, how yeah, would you a, need a bank? Yeah, it's a knowledge
1: gap. So I want I want to dive into that in just a minute. Two things first. One, your video clicked off. Um, And two, I want to talk a little bit about your origin story, which is how you got into this finance world, right? And actually teaching people how to work with their money, right? Um, So we talk on this show, every good comic book hero has an origin story, right? Um, That's the thing that made them the hero they are today. And we want to hear the story. Were you born a hero? Were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into finance and teaching people about money? Um, Where did you start in a job and eventually move over here? How did you get into
0: this world of finance? Richard, I got to ask, who told you, man? how did you know I was bit by that spider? Like nobody knows that you're not supposed to know that. So the origin story is very simple. So I grew up in a lower, lower middle-class family. I didn't have money. My mother raised me. Dad really wasn't too much in the picture, but you know, when I wanted something, I didn't just ask for it. You know, what my mom taught me was that, that hero story. My mom taught me one of the most important things, and we all have it when we're children. And that is the ability to dream. And not only just dream, I mean, we all, when I say dream think, oh, when I go to bed, I dream. No, no, no. I mean, we all have dreams. Well, when we're a kid, I mean, think about it. Like if you wanted to be an astronaut, who's, who's there to tell you as a child, I have a 13 month old, whatever my 13 month old dreams in her mind, she can do and, and, and accomplish. There's no boundaries. In her yeah. dreaming ability. And we keep that all the way up, some of us, into our teens until life starts getting a hold of us and telling us we can't do this. You shouldn't do this. You got to do what we did. You got to live the life I did. I call it conforming. But as a child, we know one thing and one thing only, creation. We know how to create what we want. And for me, creating what I wanted started with my mom saying, all right, great. You want the dirt bike? Well, you know, draw it like what kind of she she would put it in a way where she'd be like, well, show me what kind of dirt bike. And I'd be like, mom, right here, the, the KX60 in this magazine, see it right here? She's like, well, no, like draw it, like show me what you do on it. So I would spend hours upon hours just drawing this. And every time I was drawing it, what I was doing is visualizing the act of me riding that dirt bike. And the same thing happened with dirt bikes to ponds that I wanted in the backyard, to mini ramps and dirt bike tracks and everything I've ever wanted in my life started with the idea, the dream, if you will, and then articulating that dream on paper just cause that's how I did it. And I would get myself so wrapped into the act of what, of me doing that, you know, skateboarding, snowboarding, surfing, anything. I would be so into it by drawing it out that I physically would dream about it at night. And your mind is, is the most powerful thing. We, we don't even know the power of the mind. But when you dream about something that you've been thinking about all day, your body and your mind doesn't know the difference between the dream and reality. Because in your mind, it's the same darn thing. So if you're dreaming, and I'm just going to use an example of mine. I, before I ever surfed, I was so intent on learning how to surf. And I was a young kid, and I would dream about surfing. I would wake up sometimes in the middle of the night thinking that I literally had just finished surfing. I didn't know the difference between the dream and reality. I was awake, the only difference was I'm in my bed and I'm not soaking wet. I'm like, well, what just happened? That is the power that we have as children. Those dreams are real and they will be real if you never give up on them. But unfortunately, life has a unique way of getting us to conform to their ideologies, their thoughts, their things. For me, what was my superpower? I never conformed. I simply created what I wanted and right up through to today. I'm not going to say it's been one smooth, straight line. I've I've been kicked down, beat down to the bottom. I have gone to the other side of conforming and I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. So I came back to the side of creating. And, you know, if I may, one more comment, because it'll sum up my superpower. If there was a study done, Earl Nightingale talked about it. If you went around, you asked 120 year olds. If they're going to be successful by the age of 65. Richard, what do you think their answer would be? I would say yes. Or most of them would say yes. Absolutely. They would all say yes. Most of them would say, Why are you even asking me this? Of course, I'm gonna be success. I'm gonna be a multimillionaire, a billionaire, a trillionaire. I'm gonna be the next, you know, pilot of you know whatever rockets go into space on SpaceX. But then something happens. Let's fast forward now. We took those 20 or those 120-year-olds. And now let's make them 65. Let's fast forward to when they're 65 years old. And let's look at the statistics. They were all eager, optimistic 20-year-olds ready to take on the world. By 65, out of those 100, only five of them will be financially successful in accomplishing what they wanted. Actually, only one of them will be wealthy out of 100. So what happened from 20 years old to 65? I'll tell you one thing happened. 95 of those 100... Uh 20 year olds gave up, or I like to say conform, they gave up, they quit, they conform to somebody else saying, well, why don't you just do this or stop living that dream, stop kidding yourself, stop thinking you can do this, start doing this. And what is this? This is what that person that told them that accomplished in their life. When you conform your life to what somebody else has accomplished or somebody else thinks your life should be, it's over. Those five did one thing and one thing different. Yeah. That's it. Five. They can form. form or they created their life. That's the only thing they did different.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a, an amazing thought, and I love I love the thing that you you mentioned a minute ago that your brain can't tell the difference between a dream and reality. Um, and there's actually a book that talks about that that I read. It's called uh, the Anthony Elephant by Vincent Scotty, A little tiny book you can read it over lunch, um, and he talks about how. Um, your conscious mind is the ant and your subconscious mind is the elephant, you can use the ant to control the elephant subconscious mind. Um, And they do a study, um, he goes over a study in there about how the mind is actually incapable of deciphering the difference between a lived experienced and a visualized experience, right? Because if you activate your senses with your imagination, the same number of um, actually, I, I, if I was remembering correctly, more synapses fire during the visualization process than actual lived experiences. Um, so, so visualized experiences, um, dreams, as you were calling them can be uh, extremely powerful, um, in altering your subconscious and where it's actually, you know, directing all of your brain power. Um, so the, the idea that you can create something with your dreams, right? Uh, and we're talking about, you know, the difference of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the men and women who dream while they're awake, right. <laughs> and think of, you know, and visualize life they want to create and go create it. Um, and yeah, I've, I've had a lot of the, the same experiences. I remember my, uh, my wife and I, we travel full time now, which, you know, anyone who's watching the show knows because we talk about it all the time. But um, we had a, uh, a, one of those vision boards that had like everything, all the things listed on it when we first got married. And a couple of years ago, we went through that, that all the things that were on that board, they were in like a little, little folder because we'd moved several times and we'd accomplished everything we wanted in that on that vision board. We had the BMW, we had the RV and we traveled and we had the kids, like even all the way down to like the kind of nice we had. And it's like a lot of the stuff we had forgotten, but, but just the act of saying, hey, these are the things we want to create in our life. We accomplished all of them. And now we've got a whole new set of things. Um, and every time we put them on there, if you, if you keep working towards them um, and creating what you want in your life, you know, we, we've accomplished everything we've ever wanted and continue to accomplish more um, because you don't have to conform. <laughs>
0: You don't have to live the life other people tell you have to. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I remember the first time we met, and if I'm not mistaken, it was love in Florida that. at know, that event. And you were telling me about all these Florida. things, and I'm just like, man, that guy is yeah, truly free. Me about these yeah, Destin, Florida. Yeah, guy, I was just like, that guy is just so yeah, free in Florida. what he's doing. And, you know, looking, looking at that, the other thing and, that I love is you know, a lot of people that, reach what they call the arrival is syndrome. Is and the arrival syndrome is people where people somebody fly. sets a goal, the and I don't care how big or small their goal is, they, but then they reach and that they care goal care and they think, oh, my God, or I've or arrived. But then they reach that goal. and then You set the same goals, but and you arrived <laughs> yeah. at those goals, but then you just created new goals. So I think that's another thing with conforming is when goals. we arrive at a specific goal, and we, we just stop and say, okay, I've done it. A goal, that's when everything goes stop. back down yeah, the hill, because there's only one way that's to go from the top, the and hills. that's back down to the bottom.
1: Yeah, yeah. I always The metaphor I always like is the only once a fruit is ripened, the only option is for it to rot. So you either have to keep ripening, or you're going to rot. I love that. So instead of talking about your superpowers, talk a little bit about your fatal flaw, which is the flip side of your superpower, right? So just like every Superman has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad, you probably have a flaw or something that's held that you struggled with, something that's held you back in your business. Um, For me, it was a couple of things. Um, I struggled with perfectionism for a long time, um, and it kept me from shipping product and actually getting it to the market. Um, I also struggled with a lack of self-care, which, you know, uh, came out in like letting my clients walk all over me, not having good boundaries early in my entrepreneurial career. Um, But I think more important than what the flaw is, is how have you worked to overcome it so you can still grow, right? Um, And hopefully your experience will help our listeners grow a little in their lives.
0: Yeah. So early on in my life, uh, you know, I I was a dreamer, but then um, when I was in my 20s to 30s, I had a ton of success. Uh, I was running skateboard, snowboard shops. I was a pro snowboarder at that time. And I got into the Wall Street world as a financial advisor. And when I got in as the advisor, I, I started to see people that made a lot of money, other advisors and some of my clients you know, that had significant amounts of money. As a pro snowboarder, I, I was surrounded by a bunch of other snowboarders that did okay, but really they were just chasing their dream. So at this moment, when I was a financial advisor, I was making a lot of money, more money than I'd ever made. And I continued to do that and do really well. And as I started making more money, surrounding myself with these other people in the industry, I developed an ego. So my my one thing that hindered my success was my ego. And that ego carried along with it the inability for me to accept new things. As an advisor, I thought I knew all there was to know about making money and investing. I mean, we're just inherently trained to have an ego. And I hate to say that for any advisors listening, like, you know, this is the truth, or maybe you don't yet, but we are literally trained as advisors to have this ego. And I carried that along and that ego single handedly. It basically ended in me failing, not just in 2008 and almost going bankrupt to the point where I had to ask my my girlfriend at the time to pay the mortgage, the utilities, and I had to move friends into my house to pay rent because I couldn't make it. But then again, in 2014, after I had gone through the Great Recession and kind of climbed back up in the real estate world, I was still an advisor and ego there again brought me straight down to one of the worst times in my life, which was 2014. I was on a proverbial roller coaster of having money and doing well to having nothing, and then having money again and doing well to having nothing. And the single thing that brought me down both times, I have to believe, was my ego. Because I will tell you, at the bottom, when I reached the bottom, the one thing that changed from when I was at the top is I was open and willing to learn. My mind no longer had this ego that I that I knew things and I knew everything that I needed to know to so now. I don't know everything. I need help. I need mentors. I need people to show me the way. So, you know, uh, I think Will Rogers quote sums it up the best. Totally good that. Yeah. Will Rogers says the biggest problem in America is not is not what people don't know. The biggest problem in America is what people think they know that just ain't so. In those high times, I allowed all my surroundings and the people around me to control and and manipulate, and, and really just I was conforming, and I was also allowing ego to get in the way. And then when I was at the bottom, I was seeking the answers, seeking the truth, looking for a way out. In why do the wealthy do things different than what we do?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's a it's definitely a different game that people play. And I love the um, I um I I love the the thought of um your ego getting in the way because I know like anytime I've had problems has always been like because I thought I knew better um and the thing that I've I've realized as I've gotten older um is that the more I learn the less I know <laughs> um or the less I think I know um and I think that that humility of realizing that I don't I don't know Jack <laughs> um really helps helps you to be in that space where you can ask for help and you can have an open mind to learn things from other people in other industries that can help you grow your life and grow your business and things like that.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I could sum that up in something that's, I'm a, Per, you know, a perpetual student, uh, I'm reading a book right now called the one thing. And that book talks about book focusing right all, your attention and, and focus about focusing all your attention and focus on just one thing. The one, the one on the thing that you would do for free, the one thing you'd love to do, you do, do and the one thing you're good at. But then what happens if you focus everything on one thing, thing to everything then else? What happens Does if it if just focus focus fall apart? On one thing well, to everything else, you know, here's my summary of that is Henry Ford, you know the you founder know, of Ford Motor of Company. He was not a smart 14, man. I think he had a fifth you know, grade founder, education. He well, was not a smart man. what he was—he was actually brilliant, but not oh. in the general sense of what people what was, would think is brilliant from an education standpoint. See, what he was smart enough to understand is, is I'm a visionary. Education. And I'm smart enough to do this one thing that I do, which is dream and create Ford Motor Company and take it to the future where it's going to be. But he didn't know how to do bookkeeping. He didn't know how to do law. He didn't know how to do all these other things. But what he had is a little row of buttons on his desk. And every time he got something that he didn't have an answer for, he didn't know how to do it. He didn't try to let his ego kick in and say, I'll figure this out. No, he pushed the button for an expert that knew how to do it. And that makes him truly a genius because he was smart enough to know he wasn't smart enough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's and it's a powerful thing. And I know, um, that's something that I'm struggling with in my business currently is figuring out how to focus my business down on the things, focus like my skills, just on the things that I can do and like get more and more stuff to my team. Um, and growing my team has been an important part of that. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's something I'm currently learning how to do. So yeah, I know that's a it's it's definitely a an important skill and I know my business has grown significantly since I started bringing in other people instead of trying to do everything myself.
0: Absolutely. And I think the only thing that happens when you create your row of buttons and all these other people that are smarter than you is starting to figure out like how not to hit the same button over and over for that one person that you always rely on because eventually that button gets worn out and it doesn't work as well. So you have to get smart enough to understand that there isn't just one other person that can handle everything. You have to also diversify those different skills and things in your business and allow – that's a humbling experience for most entrepreneurs because the entrepreneur at the top always, always thinks, Oh, I can do everything. Well, really what they should be figuring out is what is the one thing that they do the best. Yeah. And then finding other people, people that do figure out, out they they do figure out what the other people in their team, what their one thing is and allow them to focus all their attention on that one thing and build the team that way of a bunch of specialists in their fields. Because if you think there's one person that can do everything, you're always going to be wrong and it's always going to backfire. Yeah.
1: Yeah. i i've got a, a rule with systems building in our business that the systems should be designed to uh help your teammates uh, your people on your team do only that which only they can do right um and you know same thing with my own my own work is i want i want to do only the things that only i can do right um and that require my unique skills and abilities and those kind of things and i th- So I do want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about your clients, right? And I call this your common enemy, right? So every superhero has an arch nemesis and it's the thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world, right? In the world of business, it takes a lot of forms, but generally speaking, we put it in the context of your clients and it is a mindset or a flaw that you constantly have to fight to overcome, right? So you can actually get the people that come to you, the result that they came to you for, right? And if you had your magic wand and every time they hired you to do something or go through one of your courses, you could just back them on the head with magic wand and not have to deal with that common enemy anymore. What is the common enemy in the world of teaching people how to control their money?
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a big, it's a big enemy, man. Picture it like Godzilla times 10. Uh, The enemy is very simple. What I do is teach people the secrets of the wealthy. And it's very simple. It involves changing one thing. So when, when you show somebody the path, The path is the complete opposite of every single thing they've been taught. So the first thing that comes to their mind is this sounds too good to be true. And then at that point, that enemy becomes very real because now what I'm dealing with is I'm dealing with somebody that thinks what I'm telling them is too good to be true. Me knowing it's not because what I do has been around for hundreds of years and it's been used by all the wealthiest families, but I, I always have to overcome that. And I always repeat that Will Rogers quote, you know, the biggest problem in America is not what people don't know, which, you know, what they don't know, it's, you know, the biggest problem is what people think they know that just ain't so. So they think they know what they don't know. Therefore, they think it sounds too good to be true because it's new to them. So that is absolutely the Godzilla for me. And the easiest way to overcome this negative mindset or this mindset of thinking, you know, it's too good to be true is really just to allow people to do their own due diligence and to show them the path, to teach them the, the path of, of success and how they can get themselves back on track, but then just to take my foot off the pedal and just allow them to do their due diligence. Now, for most business owners, this is very hard because that means that you're not ever going to be able to sell anything. So <laughs> right there, they're like, well, how do you do business if you're never selling? Simple. You teach people how to do what they want. And then from there, you just leave it alone. Because at that point, now you've put all the burden on the client. The client now has to make a decision. You're not going to force them. You're not going to you know, kind of try to do the hard sale or the workaround sale or all the things that I learned as an advisor. Advisory, uh, you know, financial advisors are taught to be great salespeople. They are not taught to basically teach people the truth and then just allow people to make their own decisions. We're taught to sell. My capacity today with my clients is I teach, but then we don't sell anything, which is kind of weird for them too, because now all of a sudden they are forced to have to go out and do due diligence, to watch additional videos, to overcome their objections in their mind. And in their mind, they have to come up with one thing. This is the Godzilla. They have to decide, is this real? Or is this too good to be true? And it's very easy for them to do that, but it requires them to take action on the knowledge they just learned. And I think, you know, like, again, you know, is knowledge power? Absolutely not. You know, Tony Robbins talks about this. It's the application of the knowledge that's important. So they have to go apply that knowledge. And that right there is the Godzilla because a lot of people just want everything put, you know, on a silver platter with white gloves and said, here you go. Here's the magic thing that's going to solve all your problems. And then they want it to happen yesterday. So the problem with what I do is there is no magic silver bullet or silver plate, if you will, and building wealth in what I do takes time. It's a marathon. You know, Warren Buffett gets asked, asked um, I, th- I can't remember who asked him, but I think it was Bezos said, you know, Warren, you're so smart and everything you're t- teaching is so simple. Why doesn't everybody do this? And his answer was something to the tune of, because it's not easy and it takes time. And Basil's like, well,
1: yeah, yeah, and it yeah, brings us right back to that thing we talked about earlier. Money loves speed, wealth loves time, right? Um, and it takes time to build to build wealth. And you know, I'm still in that boat. I've been working at my business for you know since I was 12, um, and I'm still not fabulously wealthy. One of these days, um, but. I, to the same same point, we've also accomplished pretty much everything we've ever wanted, um, and continue to do so. So it's it's interesting how how that works, um, and the mindset of wanting to to get everything handed to you on a silver platter is something that's uh, I've never really understood. Um, so I have a hard time with it. But the way that you approach sales, I think, is uh, is very powerful because um, that's how how we do it with our we have a full service um, podcasting agency. And we do the same thing right we don't do any sales what we do is we do education right well it's like here's what you should be doing with your podcast right to grow your audience and we give them all the tools and everything they need to do it um and then the sales is like if you would like someone to do it for you we'll we we have a white glove service that handles all of that right and that's that's our sales pitch it's one line here's what you should do (laughs) if you want someone to do it for you we can do it (laughs) so it definitely definitely works so um I want to get um, and talk a little about some practical things for um, for this actual concept of wealth, right? We call this the hero's tool belt, just like every superhero has their awesome gadgets, like batarangs or webslingers or laser eyes. I want to talk about some practical things in the world of learning to control your money, right? So this could be anything, right? It could be um, the tools you know that you use to make your business work, notepad, calendar, marketing tools, or something that you use to actually deliver. How do you um, how do you actually teach people to take control of their money? What are some of the tools that you use to make your business go around?
0: Sure. So, you know, the tool belt isn't really stacked. So, you know, I don't have one of those fancy tool belts that Batman or any of the other superheroes would have. My tool belt's very simple. And my tool belt involves a couple tools that are outside the norm. So again, how do you take back control of your money by changing just one thing? Well, in my tool belt, I don't have some special bank. Well, I actually kind of do. But what I have is I have giant mutually owned insurance companies, which also coupled with the knowledge of what the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds did back in their time, they wanted to create a banking system for themselves that put them in control of their money, but also allowed them to earn uninterrupted compound interest on their money while still being able to use the money. So that involves a magic tool. And what is that magic tool? Well, it's not what you think. Okay, it's not some fancy-dancy thing you've never heard of. Actually, the tool that we use, we call it a machine, is nothing more than a whole life insurance policy. Now, as soon as I say that, most people zone out. But this tool, this machine, okay, provided by very specialized insurance companies, mutually owned, dividend-paying life insurance companies, but giant ones, isn't the whole life that most people know about. Most people think that whole life is what Dave Ramsey says is a terrible place to put your money or Susie Orman or the other gurus. And I would completely agree with every single one of them. If you went out to your life insurance store and bought a whole life off the shelf from your broke ass brother-in-law or somebody else who's selling life insurance, you probably made a drastic, huge mistake because what I'm talking about is a completely different type of whole life, not different in its essence, but different in its engineering. Okay. So, you know, an engineer can engineer just about anything. They can take a standard car, a slow, let's just use a, I don't know, a Ford Focus, and they can engineer it to be one of the best rally cars in the world. So, what makes the difference between the standard base Ford and the you know, 700 horsepower rally car that wins races is engineering. But it's still a Ford Focus. It's a boring little car that most people are like, ah, so you got a Ford Focus. No, man, I got a specially designed and engineered Ford Focus that goes really fast, does really cool things, and wins most rallycross races. So the difference between that Ford Focus is nothing more than engineering and design. So back to my machine. It is a whole life, but it is specially designed and engineered to do a specific thing. And that specific thing is called banking. So the problem with control is we give up control to traditional banks and traditional Wall Street investment accounts. Okay, so now if we want to change that, we'd have to change one thing. And that is where your money goes first, because if I had a bank, okay, we're going to call this our private bank. And our private bank is nothing more than a specially designed and engineered whole life policy done through a giant mutually owned insurance company that pays dividends. Why would I do this? Why did the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, Walt Disney, Ray Kroc, Joe Biden, McCain, and I could go on for days, but why do they all use this private bank over the traditional bank that we've been taught to use? Simple, control. This private bank that I'm talking about allows you to put your capital there. You go out, you make $100 an hour, you take some of that $100 and you save that money. We're only talking about the money that you're saving, not the money you're spending every day on milk, groceries, diapers, and that stuff. The money you save. Why would we put that money in our private bank with these insurance companies instead of just putting it in the bank? Here's the reason. Let's say I take, this is just a hundred bucks, take a hundred dollar bill and I put it into my private bank with that insurance company. What does my private bank allow me to do? Well, first off, as of 2021, my private bank, the insurance company pays me a guaranteed 4%, guaranteed. So unless your bank is paying you 4%, I'm, I'm doing better already. Then every year, they pay me a dividend based on the unused premium deposits that I made and that everybody else made. So now I got a dividend, which can push me to close to 6%. So now I'm making 6% on my money. And in your bank account, you're making how much? Close to zero. Oh, but no, my money's in Wall Street. I'm making 10%. Great. You're
1: losing money.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe or maybe not. Let's just say they know what they're doing and they're not losing money. So now we got to, now we got to uncover something else that this magic machine does. See, I put the money here and a lot of people think to make money, I got to put it somewhere and I got to leave it sit to earn that almost 6% that I'm making in this private bank, but I'm making 12% in Wall Street. Why would I put it in for six when I can make 12? Ah, because you don't understand yet how this works. You see, you can have both. This is the and asset as my friend Cal Gilliam says. He says, you know, you don't need to do this and just this. You can do this and that so now i put the hundred dollars here i'm earning four percent plus the dividend every year better than the bank account but then immediately in the next 30 days or whenever your check clears i take some of that hundred dollars back out some or all of it so now i'm holding the hundred dollars now did i take that as a withdrawal no what i did is i took a loan from the insurance company's general account and they allow this There's nothing that that they will ever tell you. They will never, ever tell you no, like the bank does. So if I put money in and I want that money back, I just take a loan. Oh, but loan's a swear word. But what if I said the insurance company never asks for that loan back? It's a loan that doesn't ever need to be paid back. Now that sounds too good to be true. But my machine, this private bank, it isn't too good to be true because the loan that I just took from that insurance company's general account is nothing more than an advance of the death benefit that they're going to pay someday when I have my big graduation, the day I go to a better place. So now I'm holding this money. Well, let's just say you do know where to put it in stock market or crypto or whatever your flavor is. We want to now invest this money. So now I take it and I put it in that investment account to earn those big returns that you're so proud of that you'll probably lose soon, but we're not going to go there. So I put it into Wall Street. Now what am I doing? Well, I'm making whatever the returns are that in my stock account would earn, plus I'm still making that 4% plus the dividend. So I am having two returns instead of just one. This is what the wealthy know that we don't. This is called being in control because I'm in full control of my money. I just put it in and took it out, but I still continue to earn uninterrupted compound interest while taking this money and making this money, like you said, go out and work harder for me or go out and move the velocity. I'm I'm moving my money now. And I can do this with everything. I can do it with cars. I can pay it off yeah, credit card. So that's my magic tool or that's my magic uh, you know, weapon in my tool belt.
1: We we have one of those whole life insurance policies. Um, and I, it was a number of years ago that we set one up. And because um, we were you know learning some of the tricks of the wealthy as we're growing up in our entrepreneur career. And I remember one of my favorite examples that someone gave me because it's, you you know, not, not everyone is to the point where they're actually like investing money. they are still probably, you know, so there, a lot of people like I was when I first got into whole life insurance, we're still at the point where like, I have to like pay for a car. Right. And like, I have to be able to get places still, cause we're still broke. Um, but how can you use tools of the wealthy for someone who's like, I'm not quite to the I quadrant yet. A rich dad, a poor dad, we're not investing money. Um, and one of the, my favorite examples that was given was buying a car. I'm like, Versus, you know, so if you compare it to like a traditional bank, you're like you go to the bank and you you know, let's say you buy, um, you know, you have thirty thousand dollars to spend on a car, right? And you 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 go to the bank and you get the loan, and then you pay that loan back. Um, So you buy the car for twenty grand or thirty grand or whatever, and at the end of the five years, you have um, paid you know forty grand in interest for the car, and you have to sell the car, and you you know, so maybe you get a little bit back from that, and you're essentially, you're in the hole, right? Probably about 20 grand from where you started. And they were like, compare that with the whole life insurance policy where you put the money in first, right? So you've saved up for the car. um, And you have that same 30 grand. And now you take the loan out. And during the entire five years you use the car, you're earning that, you know, four to 6% guaranteed. um, And you make the payments back into the account, right? So you pay the car off. Um, And you paid off with a little bit of interest to yourself, right? So um, just like you went to the bank, and then you sell the car at the end. And now what you have is you have the entire $30,000 that you took out, plus the 6% per year compounded um, that was earning on it, plus the interest you paid back on the loan, plus all the money that you sold the car for. And now you're ahead, you know, 40 or 60 grand instead of in the whole 20 grand. And that's the difference between controlling your money versus not controlling your money.
0: Listen, Richard, I, I have to comment on that because what you just said is single-handedly one of the my favorite and one of the best things that I teach. And literally, like we've been talking about like the secrets of the wealthy here and this magic machine. And, you know, if I change just one thing and that's where my money goes first, I show people how to get all the money back for every single car they will ever buy, drive and own. And I can teach somebody this in 15 minutes. You just described that because really think about like what, think about what we do. There's only four ways You can get a car. You can pay cash for the car. You can finance the car through the dealership. You can lease the car, which is renting the car, and you can steal the car. But I'm going to eliminate number four because I'm going to assume your audience is a bunch of honest people that are not stealing cars. So we got three ways to buy cars. All of those different ways involves you trading your money, exchanging your money to somebody else and giving up control and never getting that control back. If we just change where that money goes first. So, you know, a lot of people like, well, no, if I pay cash for the car, I don't have a monthly payment. So I win. No, you lost. You just gave up, in your example, $30,000 of money that no longer can work for you anymore. You lost the future earning potential of 30 grand. And people do this every day because they don't want a car payment. So change one thing. Instead of paying cash for a car directly from your bank account, change where that 30 grand went first. Now it's earning uninterrupted compound interest. Take the loan from your policy, buy the car. Okay, but now don't stop there. Most people stop there. That's the biggest mistake. The wealthy would never stop there because your money's not working. Now you've just exchanged money from your bank, your private bank, to buy this car, which is certainly going to depreciate in value. And it's not, you're not making anything. Your money's not moving anymore. Just the car's moving. So what if we now just treat our money the same as we treat the bank's money. We paid for the car. We now own the car. Well, what we should do is a simple calculation, unlike bankrate.com, figure out how much you would have paid the car dealership if you would finance that car. Let's say you were going to pay them 3% interest and you were going to finance a $30,000 car. Let's call the monthly payment $500 a month is what it comes up with. Some interest, some principal. That's $500 a month you would have given away to the car dealership or the finance company. And you would have been fine with that. So if you were okay giving somebody else's bank that 500 a month, why don't we just go through an exercise of treating our money the same as the bank's money? Take the 500 a month you would have given to somebody else's bank and then set up a bill pay back to your bank. Your bank is this specially designed and engineered whole life. So now we write a $500 check or set up a bill pay every month to go back into your account. You know, the coolest thing is a lot of people like, I don't want to do that. Why? That's $500 a month. That goes back into your bank that you have access to the very next day when your check clears you didn't lose that money you're just redeploying where that money goes after five years what will happen is what you just described you will have the car in your driveway bought and paid for okay car is bought and paid for secondarily what you also now have is all the money that you would have given away back in your account so for one car in most examples we give you would now have 90 plus percent of every dollar you paid for that first car back. I don't know many people that buy cars and get 90 cents of every dollar back and still have the car. It's not something most people have. They they either exchange the money and lose all that interest they would have paid. And then they have a depreciating car on their driveway that they sell for a loss. But now what I just explained and what you explained, Richard, is a way where you can not only have the cars that you want, but have all the money back in your account to use any for anything you want, and this will never change because this is a guaranteed vehicle
1: yeah and it's it's such a, a powerful tool um, and it's it's not uh, it's not something that a lot of people understand. so um I think we'll get we'll get more into how people can learn this from you because I think it's a really powerful concept more people should uh should get to and we'll get to that near the end of the uh, the interview. um I do want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about a couple more things before we get to how people can learn that. Cause I think of all the people we've interviewed on this show, this is one of those things that I think everyone should learn and should take advantage of. Cause it's, <laughs> you should learn how to control your own money. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. The struggle ends now. Introducing Pushbutton Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcasts.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. So my next question though is about your own personal heroes right? And just like every hero had their mentors, um, just like Frodo had Gandalf or Luke had Obi-Wan or Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, or even Spider-Man had his uncle Ben. I want to know who some of your heroes were, right? Um, Were they, you know, speakers or authors who uh, you looked up to or peers who were a couple years ahead of you? Um, And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far in growing your business?
0: That's a great question. I've never been asked this, but of course I have heroes. When I was a young kid wanting to be a pro snowboarder, my number one hero is a pro snowboarder by the name of Teddy Hawkinson, And he was back in the 90s, and the 2000s, the greatest snowboarder of all time. I've gotten to know him. I've had him on my podcast now, but he was my hero, ultimate hero. Everything he did, I mimicked, I watched, I learned, and I studied to the nth degree. But then after snowboarding, I had other heroes when I was in the financial world, Okay, I looked up to some of the, the best advisors, okay? Some of them were in the firm I was at. I was always going after the top guy. How did he get there? And I would go to them and I would either exchange time, you know for the knowledge or sometimes dollars. I would give up you know pieces of cases and I'd split them with him so that he was being paid to teach me how did you get where you're at? Because if I'm here and you're here and you're my hero that I'm chasing, how do I close that gap? It's simple. You mimic what they do. I mimicked what Teddy Hawkinson did. I mimicked what Mark did. And I literally today, who are my heroes today? Are some that many of you know. Tony Robbins, hands down, one of my heroes. How did he do what he did? How does he help hundreds of millions of people get to where they want to go? So I mimic what he does. Robert Kiyosaki loosely could be considered a hero because he's in my space and he took it to a certain level. But I can only see him as a hero until I hit a certain level, which I think I've got. And then I have to find somebody else. So the simplest thing is, is I've always had heroes. I will always have heroes. The heroes that I have today are not the heroes that I'm going to have in five or 10 years from now, because I will reach their level. And then I will need to seek new levels and That's how heroes are. We never, you know, from a kid, we we have certain heroes. I mean, but then when we get older, our heroes change. Well, that's my my hero's journey. Like, I'm always looking for my next hero. And all I want to do is I want to say, how did my hero get where they're at? And how do I close that gap and mimic what they did to be right there?
1: And I know in uh, um, one of the things that I learned early on in my, like, trying to find heroes world um, for my own life was realizing that you don't have to find the perfect person, right, they don't, you don't have to find someone who's like, they have to be someone that you're looking up to for their marriage and their child rearing and their finances and their relationships. It's like, find the area that they have the success that you want to mimic. Um, And if it's, you know, if they have the business success they want, but not the relationship success, don't take the relationship advice, find someone who's got the long term relationship that you want. And, you know, so you're, you're allowed to do that, because never, nobody's perfect. Right? You're not going to find the perfect person to look up to or follow or read their books or listen to them on stage. Right. They're going to have certain areas of expertise where you can learn from them and mimic their actions and hopefully get the same or similar results. Totally agree. One more thing before we get to, I think, some of the fun stuff, um, which is you know how people can find you and learn this stuff themselves um, is I want to talk about your guiding principles. Right. So one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. Batman, for instance, never kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview, I want to talk about top one or two principles that you live your life by um, that maybe you wish you knew when you first started out on your own hero's journey.
0: Yeah, my principles are very simple. Uh, I'll start with one of the main guiding principles that I live my life by, and that is give your best stuff away for free. I learned this from one of my heroes in the past, and they said to me, if you want success, give your best stuff away for free. I truly believe that what I just said by giving, if you give unconditionally without any hope of getting anything back, you can't go into a giving situation because you think you're gonna get something from that. That defies it. It almost is a double negative. It negates it, okay? Try putting two magnets together. You can't, same thing. But if you give in the effort and the hope of solving somebody else's problem, you in turn, it's a, it's a universal law, you in turn will also find success. Okay. And it might be in weird ways. Sometimes when you give, you get a front row parking spot at the grocery store. Sometimes when you give sometime later, somebody ahead of you buys you a coffee at Starbucks. Those are the returns that you get and they just multiply, but that is a guiding principle. And the, I don't know as if this is a principle, but something I live my life by a code, if you will, I have a a routine, a very strict routine that I follow every day. And it starts that when I wake up and I open my eyes, I get down on my knees and I thank God for the day. And then I go through a process of different things. My clothes are set up for the day. So I don't have to think, okay. I I typically will work out just to get my mind and going. I drink a glass, a full glass of water because I have to get my body ready and your body's mostly water. So these are just different things on that level that I do. But I would say the single guiding principle is what I just said about giving. If you give, it's doesn't matter. You will get. And that is it.
1: I have a, uh, a theory that the uh, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave in, uh, in Matthew, I think it's Watch 25, um, is not a, uh, um, it's not a, what would you call it, uh, uh, like commandments, like thou shalt live this way. Um, it was more of a, hey, um, I, 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 had a, I had a hand in creating the universe and it has certain r- rules that you have to sort of live by. Like, you know, if you jump off of a building, you're going to fall down because gravity. Um, right. It's that the the whole first given, then you shall receive is a sort of a law of the universe, kind of the, in the same way that gravity is a law of the universe.
0: 100%. And it's funny you're saying that. I'm just looking it up here because it is something that I've repeated numerous times. It's something Earl Nightingale talked about. The Sermon on the Mount sums that entire thing up. And I think everybody should not just read it once, but should read it many times over, whether you're religious or not religious. There's so much you can learn from that. And uh, I'm glad you brought it up.
1: What I want to do um, real quick, I've got got one thing I do before we wrap the interview. Um, and it's called the Heroes Challenge. Um, and it basically, it's just a selfish thing I do at the end of the interviews to help me find access to people who might not be looking to do the whole podcast thing, but still have interesting stories. So. The question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network who you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story on our show?
0: Absolutely. So one that I would come to mind is one of my heroes, one of my mentors, Randy Garn. Uh, his story is incredible. He has exited $100 million you know deals that he sold, but it's not what he did or where, where he's at today. It's how he got there. His, his story is amazing. So I would absolutely highly recommend Randy Garn. And uh, God, there's so many others, but uh, you know, Teddy A. Hawkinson, if you can get him to come on the show, I think his hero, sh- his hero journey would be incredible. I mean, he was obviously one of my heroes, but how he did what he did to get to the levels he did was simply an incredible story. So those would be two really good ones for you.
1: Awesome. Well, we'll reach out later and see if maybe we can get an introduction. Sure. Um, and now we get to the fun part, which is, um, is how can people learn from you, right? In comic, in comic books, there's always the crowd of people at the end who are cheering and clapping for the acts of heroism. Are analogous to that um, is where can people find you if they want your help? Or can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey, Chris, I would really like to learn how to take control of my money. Um, so I think the, uh, the, the important questions are one, where can they do that? And two, who are the right types of people to reach out and ask for your help?
0: So I do have a bat signal and it's, it's blaring every day, day and night. And that is my website. It's chrisnoggle.com. And when you go there. First thing you should do is grab a copy of my book, Mapping Out the Millionaire Mystery. You can have it for free, just pay the shipping. That's one swipe of your index finger. But then also watch a 90 minute video. Now, I know that's a lot for me to ask, but if you want to learn how to take back control, you have to do the same thing I did. In 14, even though I was a high level advisor, I didn't know about this. And I had an extremely wealthy individual say to me, Watch this 90 minute video and then I'll answer your questions in a call. That was the toll. The 90 minute video will teach you how to get back all the money for every single car you ever buy, drive, and own. It will teach you how to erase and recycle and recapture all the debts and the money that you give out and expenses. It'll show you how to take all that money back. But hey, you know, then you were saying, who isn't this for? Well, this is for the people that don't want to get all the money back or don't, don't go watch the 90-minute video or look for the bat uh, signal if you don't want to get all the money back for all the cars you're ever going to buy driving on, if you don't want to pay off your debt, if you don't want to make uninterrupted compound interest. Keep doing what you're doing because you clearly think you know what you don't know. But for everybody else, it's chrisnoggle.com, couple swipes on the index finger, get the book, watch the 90-minute video or the 10-part video series. And from there, Set up a call with me and I will answer all of your questions. And then from there, you can go on your journey to decide, is this too good to be true? Or is this something that will change my financial life?
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today, Chris. It has been um, excellent getting to both catch up with you a little bit and uh, and talk about what it is that you do. Because um, I, again, it's, personally, I think this is one of the biggest tools in the wealthy's toolboxes. That is accessible to those of us who don't have, like, we don't, you don't have to be an accredited investor. You don't have to reach a certain level to start taking this level of control of your finances. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of black boxes that are closed off to you until you reach a certain level that only the wealthy can access. And this is one of those tools that can help you take control of your money in a way that nothing else can. So definitely um, take up Chris's um, offer to go watch the 90 minute webinar um, and pick up his book. Um, you know, I'm probably going to go pick up a copy of your book because I don't think I've read that copy yet or um, <laughs> read that one. <laughs> so uh, again, thank you for coming on the show today, Chris. I really appreciate your time. Do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for my audience before I hit this uh, stop record button?
0: Yeah. I mean, focus everything you have on the one thing you enjoy doing and make sure that one thing you enjoy doing solves somebody else's problem.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much for coming on today, Chris. It was my honor and
0: pleasure. Thank you.